One of the most interesting storylines to have prevailed from the pandemic has been around the phenomenal increase in online shopping and the demand for certain products and materials. On previous episodes of this podcast, we've spoken about the chaos this has caused for supply chains, distribution and logistics, as well as the impact on warehousing. Put simply, there's hardly enough of it anymore. But two years into the pandemic, and that's plenty of time you'd have thought to get things in order, right? Well, not quite. We're in peak shopping season and retailers and other businesses are still apologising to their customers for being out of stock on certain items or for those items reaching them so long after they've been ordered. So what's going on? Well, I've got three experts with me to shed some light. Greg Pike, who heads up industrial and logistics brokerage in Australia for JLL. Kyle Rogers, co-founder of on-demand warehousing platform Utenant. Kyle is also director of supply chain at the Supply Chain and Logistics Association of Australia. And Chris Wong is the chief operating officer at warehousing, logistics and distribution provider EWE Group, an Australia-wide operation that has spent the past two years tackling everything from pallet to people shortages while trying to keep customers happy. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this JLL podcast. So, Kyle, here we are in the 2021 pre-Christmas shopping rush. What are the current hurdles around the flow of goods and what have we learnt over the past two years to improve things? Thanks, Rebecca. So we'll probably start by, uh, by answering that question, a few sort of, I suppose, sayings that we have here at Utenant. So what's happened over the past two years has been the proverbial uh move from shop to shed so when shops are there the shops are open we can go in there we can try stuff on we can buy them but over covid with frequent lockdowns in in different states which happened at any moment um, for long periods of time as melbourne is the most lockdown city in the world shops were closed retailers uh, companies couldn't get their stock obviously sold through the shop fronts so they had to move to sheds so the people had to quickly move online businesses had the shop fronts had to become their website so they had to quickly have their stock available at any given time in what locations and had to be able to fulfill that in in a, seemly, uh, in a timely manner to make sure the customer wasn't disrupted and they got their whatever they ordered for their birthday or whatever ordered for a wedding or whatever they ordered for whatever it may be uh, on time to avoid customer disappointment. So that, that caused massive challenges because you had all this stock stuck in, in shop fronts um, and probably limited stock held in the warehouses where before warehouses were kind of just use as replenishment for the stores with a limited amount of volume uh, stored in the warehouse. But what's happened then over the last two years is businesses at a board level have, have quickly had to change their strategy. Their deliberate strategy might have been to open up 100 extra stores in the next five years and slowly grow our online omni-channel e-commerce volume by 5-10% in line with you know growth forecast. Quickly, all of a sudden, 80% to 100% was being bought online. So all that investment was like, slow down, don't open up any more stores because they're not open. Get all those stock out of there. Let's get another warehouse, U-Tenant or with JLL, who we work closely with a number of our clients. Uh, and that has led to, to mass mass uptake in industrial property uh, across the country. That's another saying that we have here, U-Tenant in the perfect supply chain, the warehouse doesn't exist, dot, 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 period, because in a perfect supply chain, thing was things would rock on the container at Melbourne, um, at the wharf or, or Port Botany, be unpacked and go straight, straight to your home. But that doesn't happen. Um, and there's the four P's of supply chain, a bit like the four P's of marketing. There's people, so massive people issues, which I'm sure Chris can allude to more of these uh, and can empathize probably a lot more than me because he's actually running uh, facilities around the country with 400 plus people and number of clients. So people, number one, because people are at the forefront of everything that we do. You got 
property issues of what I discussed, massive um, low, low vacancy rates across the country. Every industrial property across the eastern seaboard is full. Greg can talk to that in a moment. Pallet issues, major pallet issues because of the, the demand for stock globally, uh, wood and a number of other supply chain challenges, which has meant there's a cry out for pallets that everything moves on. So they come in in containers and then they generally move on pallets. And then fourth and finally, port issues. Two major things from that is number number one, industrial strike issues. And then number number two, again, the container issues, being able to get in DHAR containers and get ships in and out of Australia and around the globe, globe fast enough. So I hope that covers uh, kind of what you said. So it's going to just take some time for those things to regulate if, if they ever do. So how does this translate to end consumers getting their goods on time for Christmas? Will they or are they? Look, there's a number of factors to that. Like, I, I'm no no panacea, uh, you know. I suppose opinion based also from, from what I'm learning uh, on the day to day reading and working with clients is look major issues in China. Number like was global hope for manufacturing. They've got environmental sustainability targets, which is another thing. So they've got to use less coal. They had factory shutdowns due to COVID because I, I believe they still have a, a zero COVID. COVID zero strategy, which is unbelievable for a, a country of plus a billion people. Um, but look. My, I taken another, I suppose, lens on this and said, yes, people won't be getting stock. I was just out with a, a supplier for our embroidery for our uh, U-Tenant apparel, um, and they're struggling to get certain T-shirts and certain garments for us because of uh, not being able to get a spot on the container ship because the costs are so exorbitant um, and there's a lack of supply into the country. But if I take a different lens in it, people talk a lot about supply chain, Rebecca, but people don't talk enough about demand chain. So you also got to be able to predict demand, but that's really, really difficult when humans, generally speaking, we're, we're emotional beings. We buy an emotion. We walk into a store. We might have buy something that we never planned. You might be sitting at home and you just see something on an ad on TV or a pop-up ad on a website that you're reading, a targeted ad, and you just buy it. So it's really hard for companies to to prepare for that and have the right stock levels in place because either have too much um, and then you've got to pay those supply chain and inventory costs to sit in, in your network or you have too little and then you miss out on a sale which has lost revenue and potentially someone goes to your competitor. So it's, it's also known at the bullwhip effect that if you over order or under order so that there's no there's no perfect, as I said, perfect supply chain and as any demand um, supply forecaster listening to this will know the only forecasting is no forecasting. But just, just to finish on that, that, that point is two things. First of all, people know when their birthdays are, generally speaking, or the kids' birthdays are. People know Christmas comes at the same time every year. So if you wanted something badly enough for Christmas, maybe you should have ordered it three, four months ago. So maybe what's happening throughout COVID, I hope, is a realignment in consumers' expectations that they, it's, it's an up, onus as much on them as much the retailer. Of course, custom, the consumer is king. We've all heard that. So, but at the same time, consumers have to be on the front foot. If they want a product badly enough, um, they have to be able to order it on time. Greg, Carl's talking about the perfect supply chain not needing warehouses at all, but I feel like we're a long, long way away from that scenario. How has warehousing evolved since the pandemic? I think what's been interesting for us is the um, the acceleration in take-up rates of large format warehouses to, to satisfy, um, you know, what we're seeing is increased demand due to these online e-commerce 
um, online e-commerce purchases coming into Australia. Couple that as well with people have gone from this whole scenario of just-in-time supply chain to now just-in-case and a lot more local assembly, or what we'd call manufacturing, but assembly being done here on shore. Um, and people not wanting to get caught short like they did in COVID previously when uh, online retail went through the roof and, and all of a sudden weren't able to service, uh, all these big retailers weren't able to service customers. Um, the knock-on effect that then has to groups like EWE and Linfox and a number of other major 3PL, um, 3PL businesses around Australia who are the bulk of who we deal with on a daily basis. Um, you know, their customers have very high expectations of being, and their customers are the retailers effectively, or the product owners, as Kyle likes to call them. Their customers had very big expectations on behalf of the consumer, the, right at the end of the supply chain, getting what they'd ordered. Um, but unfortunately, the knock-on effect of not having enough property, um, you know, delays in um, being able to get supply of timber and metal and rivets and screws and sheeting and um, you know, all the bits and pieces needed to, to actually design and construct a facility, concrete, um, and then exacerbated here, at least in New South Wales, with a COVID construction lockdown, completely put the property cycle out of whack. So where we're normally sort of at an equilibrium of, say, you know, 1.2 million square metres, um, and this is for Sydney, a year in take-up compared to about, say, 850,000 square metres of new supply annually, all of a sudden um, we've still got the same demand, if not higher, um, but supply has been halved. Um, so that's just further exacerbated, you know, the ability for these large logistics and corporates and, and retailers to go and secure themselves space to continue fulfilling um, the growth in de demand as well as the growth in backfilling um, or plugging holes in, in people's in a retailer's supply chain because they need to keep more stock on hand. Um, so that's been uh, that that's been a real dynamic shift for us when COVID first hit. Um, there was a lot of chat about pre-COVID and COVID and, and everyone sort of went into this lockdown phase of, oh my God, the world stopped, what's going to happen? Um, for us, at least, it very quickly shifted to there's a huge wave of product coming into Australia and we've got nowhere to house it. Um, a number of our, our key customers and clients um, are seeing their tenants, you know, use their facilities at a 120, 130% capacity. They've got pallet stored in aisles. They're, they're re-racking from, you know, 1.4 metre base to 1.2, reshuffling product. They're trying to become more efficient with uh, with their picking methods rather than, you know, um, a pick to carton from a pallet. They're, they're starting to put things away in shelving. They're talking about mezzanines. They're really sweating their assets quite hard um, because they know that there's it's not, a, it's not an easy scenario to go and get something for six or 12 months while we wait to get something... Um, built for them that's that's two or three times the size. So capacity has been a huge challenge for a number of tenants. Um, the upshot, I suppose, of that is in, in Australia, whilst we are one big country, especially on the East Coast, there is limited land supply. Um, and there's finite resources of people who can build sheds and finite resources, um, you know, to physically put them together. So, you know, we, we've really seen that knock-on effect exacerbated. So as a result, rents have gone through the roof. And as a result of rents going through the roof, and again, you know, Kyle will know this, Chris will know this, with rents going through the roof, that then has a, a you know, a, a multiplier effect on the cost that the 3PLs can then have to charge their customer, you know, which is the retailer or the corporate and so on and so forth down the line to the consumer. You know, and that's across um, the whole the whole throughput 
um, of the supply chain and, and indeed returns as well. Because now a lot of people are over-ordering, making sure they've got the right size or the right colour, and then they're getting a free returns policy or a, you know, a cost-effective returns policy where they might, you know, someone like my wife might order three dresses online, choose that she'll keep one, um, and then send the other two back for free. And so that's now causing a reverse effect um, you know, back on the uh, on the return supply chain, which is you know further exacerbating the problem. So, um, you know, for us, all we keep telling our clients, um, you know, the major institutions around Australia is, please just build, 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 because we will continue to fill these facilities. Um, you know, as a result of land obviously going through the roof here in, in Australia, um, rents have now obviously followed that trajectory, coupled with a lack of, of supply. Um, it's going to cause it's going to continue to cause huge problems for supply chain and for three 3PL groups going through from now all the way through to 2023. Um, 2022 is effectively a gone year for us. There is um, not a great deal of supply coming next year across the east coast of Australia. And the supply that is coming is pretty much most of it's already been um, committed. So we're working with tenants now and groups to do deals in 2023 and 24 and help pre-plan their supply chain for, you know, for, for those years. And I think it's going to take a couple of years for... Um, you know, for property and for the supply chain to really level itself back out again. So is building more warehousing really the only way forward? Could addressing the demand for goods, for example, be an alternative solution? Because we're so far out of kilter um, due to the previous lack of supply, due to the previous lack of construction, previous lack of being able to physically get construction materials to build these things, um, we're already a few hundred thousand square metres you know, in Sydney is a minimum, at least a few hundred thousand square metres short of where we needed to be to fulfil requirements for this year and next year. So, you know, as quickly as they can build them, they're being leased and we just cannot keep up with that demand. Now, I'm sure um, demand from e-coms will start to peter out and we'll probably go back to a much much more natural um, growth trajectory. But I don't know if you're like me, but, um, you know, my family... Everyone's so now well, um, what's the word? They're, they're well versed on being um, online shoppers now. Um, not to take away from, you know, from the retailers. I was in the city with the kids on the weekend and, and it was absolutely packed and it was great to see people actually physically going back into store. Um, but if you're anything like, as I said, my wife, she's, she's ordered plenty online for Christmas and she's scratching her head going, where, where is it and when's it coming? And to Kyle's point, you know, everyone knew Christmas was on the 25th of December. Um, but people are so used to leaving it to the 1st of December or last minute because they don't want the kids to see it. They've got nowhere to store it at home. Um, and unfortunately, I just don't think as much as the retailers and the supply chain groups are trying to uh, facilitate and keep everyone happy and, and give the end customer um, what they want, I just physically don't think it's going to happen and people are going to miss out. You know, the fact that Aussie Post had to shut down, um, you know, their entire DC network for four days, what was that, Kyle, about four weeks ago? You know, that was a massive jolt in overall supply chain, particularly for B2C. You know, Aussie Post are arguably probably still the number one in B2C um, deliveries because they've got an Aussie Post shop in every town and every suburb and they've got the Aussie Post, you know, lockers and all the rest of it. And yes, there's some great career companies out there trying to also keep up with demand, but that was a big jolt to the supply chain system. And for I don't think the consumer realised at the time when that was on the news, the impact that would that would further have on them and on everybody in Australia. So, Greg, just to clarify, Australia Post closed down just to catch... They stopped receiving, they stopped receiving orders. They said, no more. Don't send us anything further until we clear our backlog, which is incredible. Did I get that right, Chris? Uh, spot on, Matt. Yeah. 
That's scary. In a, in a country of this size and in a mature country with a stable government, that is very scary that probably your largest distribution network to, you know, you, me and everyone on this call or everyone listening to this podcast had to shut down its network um, to clear a backlog. That meant retailers couldn't get stuff out, people aren't getting stuff in the mail and, and the, the flow and effects are only just starting to, to be received now. And I just, just, just add to that and what that kind of suppose means for consumers, right? Because you mentioned, you know, we don't get the stuff and what do you think? The consumers don't really care. They don't care about supply chain as much as you know we do. Obviously, we're all three of us wear different hats. They don't care about supply chain. They don't care about property space. They don't care about three PLs and whether picking the stock on time or not. Right? They just order something today and they want it tomorrow, or Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever it is. They just want it here to give it to their kid, to give it to their friend on time. But let me tell you what happens subconsciously when or consciously when that happens. You order from a Nike, an Adidas, a Puma. Right, or you go to Coles, Woolies, or Aldi's, and you you want to buy your Vegemite, you want to buy your Heinz tomato ketchup, and you order it, or you walk in to buy it, and it's not there, it doesn't come. What then happens in your mind? Well, you kind of still need red sauce, or you kind of still need something like Vegemite or peanut butter for your breakfast, or you kind of still need a pair of running shoes or running gear. You might turn left or right, or on a web in in the store, look what else is on the shelf, and pick up a, one of their competitors' product that you've never tried before and love it. Or if you're shopping online, you couldn't get the shorts that you wanted or the running gear that you wanted, you might jump onto Nike or Adidas's website and buy it there. And you might try their product for the first time and love it. Yes, it might have lost say, the sale of a peanut butter at $5 or a cost of a pair of shorts at $50, that's a one-off cost, but the lifetime cost of that to a brand could be massive. Then if I, if it is me, for example, love the product so much, I go share it on my social media and I have a so big social media following, which I don't, I don't have Instagram. But anyway, let's say I do, then other people start to buy it. And then that lifetime is gone forever. But then also on the flip side of it, if they do order it and it doesn't arrive on time, and Star Trek have said, Australia Post have said, stop receiving for four days, who do you think the consumer gets angry at? Not Nike, Adidas, or Puma. Sorry, not not Star Trek, who've said, or Australia Post have said, stop. They get angry at the brand. When little did they know, they had the stock ready. They had it in stock. They wanted to ship it. They wanted to get it to you on time. But their extension of their business, which is the LSP, which stands for Logistics Service Provider, like a toll, as Greg mentioned, a Lynn Fox, a DHL, Australia Post, they're actually an extension of the brand. It's something that's what we call as well the last mile. So you can get everything right up to manufacturing. It's probably a good segue into Chris. There's a lot of, obviously, it happened in China. You can get everything right in um, in Shanghai, packed in a container, get it here, stored for three months, order it online, and it falls over on the last mile. Then the customer doesn't get their product, and there's a return and um, an unhappy customer and potentially a, a bad review. Thanks, Kyle. Chris, let's bring you in here. Give us an insight into the pace and the challenges of your operations at this time of year. Yeah, it's not just the Christmas. Ever since the COVID started early last year, this whole service industry like uh, 3PL and uh, combined with the last mile solutions has been a lot more fun into it. Um, so we always said, uh, you know, to to be a good logistic company, you need to be agile. You need to be flexible. You can't always have a plan A. You need to have a plan B because that's how we make a living because uh, plan A just may fall off sometimes. But in this COVID year, it's just the plan B is not, not going to be enough. We need a plan C and D, because uh, things just change every day. Uh, the, the, um, 
Cal mentioned the, the 4P challenge, you know, we actually feel that every day. Uh, let's start with probably people. Um, in, in in the past few months, um, it's been ridiculous hard to recruit people. Uh, you can put the things online, usually you got 50 resumes in two hours, that was in 2019. But now you probably were lucky to get a one in a week and the person may not be fit. And your first interview question, rather than checking their experience, will be, have you been fully vaccinated? Are you not? Are you open to it? And are you open to um, get a test every three days? That was probably in June when seniors ended the second wave. Um, that was very, very different. And um, we had a case um, in probably in mid-August. There was We got a confirmed case in the office in the same building of one of our 3 p warehouse. And uh, that was uh, very uh, hard to, to, to deal with. You got 40% of people straight away um, don't want to come back next week. Come, come blame them that you have to check the rules. What's the regulation say? What if this happened to you? What's the government instructed to do? And then we found out like you can still open if you do this and this and that. But the staff were extremely paranoid and they are, oh, okay, I don't want to come in for a week. I want to go stay home for a week. Then you look at your 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 roster, you lose 40% of workload straight away. I mean, 40% of manpower straight away. Then how are you going to communicate to the customer and work that through? And what's your priority? What order can wait for a few more days? And not probably knowing they can, they're going to come back in full power guaranteed. You just have to work through day by day. Um, and this a lot of those things happening in the last uh, you know almost two years now. And um, for the for the palace is another funny one. We the palace probably didn't really uh, uh, show until the last six months. It was probably still okay for the first time for the first year of 2020. The last six months, we um, we have to um, re say no to new business simply simply because of short of palace supply, which was never happened to us. Uh, we got supplier. Um, every time, you know, send your bottle of wine if you've been buying from them every year for something like $13 a pallet. But now it's the other way around. You couldn't even get something for 22 if you get, if you put a wine in front of them. It's, it's just a, it's just a very, very interesting market. And we start picking the, the container comes to us on pallets and we'll prefer to take those work simply not just because they're easy to do, just because they come with pallet. And, and, and we got people, um, uh, we go to the construction site. Uh, we had some construction happening in one of the warehouse um, in Sydney, and those guys left some pallet behind. And in, in, the, in, in the old days, you know, you, you you actually demand them to take it away, and now we ask them to leave there for us, <laughs> just because any everything only counts. And um, another disruption will be for us as a service provider is um, the last mail. Uh, we do run a small fleet of last mail service ourselves, but we largely rely on like Australian Post and a few other carriers. And um, um, Greg mentioned about the, their shutdown even beforehand. There were multiple strikes happening every week. There were strikes on, on TNT on Monday, then next week was uh, was Star Trek. And we have a relationship with probably 15 different carriers. So we have the flexibility to turn this on and uh, post that and do that. We really feel like we are you know, controlling the traffic. It turn is a green line, red line on a passive position though. But the good thing for us is we have to build, we've been building that solution and network through the last probably two or three years to give us flexibility to always provide a solution to, to keep our customers' business going. And that's what we have to really have to work with the customer together. 
um, they're pretty good. They understand the challenge there, and uh, they are, they will accept. Okay, this is not my preferred uh, carrier, or this is not, not my preferred supply chain model. But I have to keep it going, um, and and let's maybe review that once things get better. Um, con container delay. Um, we got backlog of container um, comes through all the get. You, you have two weeks pretty light of work. Then another two weeks, your yard is full. Um, it's 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 just space i think probably in uh on cow's back for the last few weeks just say hey man, can, you, can you give me more space you know nationally anything uh, we don't want to say no to business we don't want to we always want to be you know um helpful with our customer uh, so you try the best you can you just have to absorb a lot of costs with the transit you know the, the stock transfer but again that's what we do um, the good thing is we have this national footprint. We got we even try to divide divide workload from one state to another. You know if that's gonna work. Yeah. Um, a lot of business turn from you know B two B and then B two C probably 50 50 to be more heavily B two C. That gives us a flexibility to say okay, uh, there is there, there, there there's a possibility we could move them from one state to another, which we recently just did. One we move a client from uh, Melbourne to Adelaide. Uh, because they turn to 100% B2C, they don't run retail store anymore. So we have to throw some incentive on the table to, you know, facilitate that move and uh, just to open up, open up more space in Melbourne. Um, with China, because we work with China's EW Group, we work with all the Alibaba, this big uh, market giant in China, um, even the the new the, the 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 new the new ones TikTok, and from what we see here. Um, Stuff with last year, the direct shipping volume from Australia to China has probably dropped a bit from that purely from the direct shipping model. People more tend to use the bounded facility method simply because there was there was not there was not enough airline since, since COVID because all the border shut down. There was the uh, the the output was airlines been slashed into twenty percent of pre-COVID. You couldn't move your freight. There's no air aircraft to move your freight from here to from Australia to China. Um, so a lot of people straight away change their business model to do bonded facility in China and uh, try to sell different product. And 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 even with that limited airspace we got, um, like China have this zero COVID policy, which is sounds crazy. And then they anything little thing happened, they will shut the border, shut up a particular city. And I'll, I'll apply a three days extra deep clean for one of the terminal, which created excessive delay. And we have to try to use this one, turn this airline and try it. It didn't work. Try that. It's, 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 it's pretty fun for us because knowing we have that much, um, that much thing we can play on the chess, which is great. A um, lot of things we were never to try before, and we tried for the last two years. Just just to close from me, Rebecca, and I've taken a note here, I'm trying to think of a way to summarize, you know, everything that's happened in the supply chain for, for your listeners and for people who'll tune into this. Think about pre-COVID times. I know it seems like a long, long time ago, pre-2019. You think of a supply chain, containers moving around the globe, containers being unpacked on the on on pallets or not on pallets, unpacked, put in warehouses and delivered. Generally speaking, as we've all discussed, things are running just as they are. E-commerce is growing at a certain rate. It's almost like a Formula One track, right? Melbourne Formula One track or Dubai is going round and round and round. And you can predict, for the most part, what's going to happen. Sometimes someone turns the wrong way. That's a little disruption and there's a bit of a crash. But that's not the norm. COVID, think of that. 
and throwing stones and changing the track every two minutes. So all these Formula One drivers don't know where they're going. So that's going to cause oversteer or understeer. It's going to cause more crashes and things like that are COVID. Things like the lack of supply um, of people due to COVID and international travel. You got weather issues that obviously didn't touch on that affect um, storms and whatnot. Then speaking of storms, geopolitical storms like Brexit, we had Trump, Trump, uh, saga as well over the past few years in America, which which changed things a lot on the global and um, with trade wars. To to mention one, we had the four P's that we mentioned um, throughout, which I don't need to go into again. You got sustainability issues in China affecting the use of coal, which has affected manufacturing. So there's been a number of issues, and you think of that like a Formula One car, you can't predict that track anymore, and it's going to cause disruption. And when disruption happens, crisis bites, and that's going to cause you know massive you know tail spin outs which is going to have massive impacts right through the supply chain not at the very start right through to the end so look i can't say the end is in sight uh, i don't know how long how long's left but all i do know is uh, companies like like ewe jll and new tenant are better prepared um, for what the future will hold because it builds resilience and greg what does the future hold from a warehousing perspective in your view i'm gonna have a crack at the crystal ball from a property perspective i think Supply will start to fray up a little bit from a warehousing perspective by Q3, Q4 next year. Um, but I think the smart occupiers are planning for 23, 24 now, even if they've got a 27 lease tail. And they're looking for change. They're going to look to move early and they're going to look to take advantage of more land supply, which comes on board across the east coast of Australia during that 23, 24 period and walk away from lease tails or take a punt they'll be able to sub-lease tails um, and and be better prepared with their property planning. I think those that bring into play automation will potentially take longer term leases. Um, but I also think with 3PLs, they'll be expecting longer term and more robust commitments out of their customers as well, if they're truly gonna partner with them rather than customers just looking to get the cheapest rate card um, around the country. It sounds like the evolution of our industrial supply chain and logistics sectors is still very much underway but consumers can get their goods on time if they shop smart and if they consider all the factors that we've lifted the lid on in this conversation. Even then, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. Nonetheless, Chris Wong, Carl Rogers and Greg Pike, thank you very much for sharing everything you know. It's been fascinating. And thanks for listening to this JLL Perspectives podcast. I'm Rebecca Kent. 